Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. Today, we're going to be taking you in the seafood direction. That's right, we're going to Pacific Eating House. Here I have as my guest, Patrick McCracken. He is the new executive chef at Pacific Eating House. Took that position in late February. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I'm uh, very excited to be the, the new chef there. Um, some exciting things coming down the road. And I can't wait to talk about those, and I can't wait to experience them because we've been there a couple times the last couple weeks, and I'm <laughs> really, really impressed, and I can't wait to see what you do with it. But we'll get to that. I want to start off just kind of as an introduction, and we're going to talk about you actually um, took some time. You've been in the hospitality industry for a good chunk of your life, but you took some time away from it. And then in February, you recently came back into it. We're going to get into that. But first, I want to just start with kind of talking about Pacific Eating House and the type of establishment that it is. What was it about this opportunity that made you say, yes, I want to get back into the restaurant industry? Like what makes Pacific Eating House special? Um, Well, seafood has always been kind of my specialty um, as far as um, uh, cooking goes. Uh, I learned how to cook. I went to a school out there in uh, Seattle, or on the peninsula anyway, and worked a good portion of time at a fish house in Eugene, uh, McGrath's Fish House, and uh, they, it's been basically my specialty every time I've been in the industry, I, I lean towards seafood. So. so as someone who's so seafood-centric, it seems like you would be someone who would want to, you know, work in a restaurant near one of the coasts or somewhere where you're getting, you know, fresh product. But but you're, you're in Omaha. And I would argue, at least from what I've tasted, Pacific Eating House and Twisted Cork, when it's open, serve some of the most fresh seafood you can get in the middle of the country. What is it about those places, like, that, that makes them, that kind of sets them apart in terms of the fresh seafood? Well, we get a lot of our stuff uh, flown in from Hawaii. All our ahi comes flown in from Hawaii, so that is generally in the water within the last 48 hours, and <clears throat> or from when we receive it anyway. And everything else, we just try and keep as fresh as possible. So rotate stocks much and don't order. You know, don't overorder. What is it about seafood that speaks to you? Um, I'm not really sure. I don't really eat seafood as much, and I think that's part of what it is. Oh, um, really? When I tend to, when I'm in an industry, I worked at barbecue places, and I tend to not eat as much barbecue when I'm working in a barbecue place. So when I don't eat as much seafood, it doesn't bother me as much. So, And I'm actually allergic to shellfish. So, um, <laughs> You've chosen a very odd profession. Yes. But you've made it work. Yes, and, and I mean... Some of the best dishes I make are, are shellfish dishes, and I just trust other people's palates when it comes to tasting them. So so I, I, I'm so curious in that. Like, how does that work? I mean, how do you, you know, how difficult is that to kind of, like, put your stamp of approval on something that, that you can't taste? How much trust, like, does that require? Um, it, it requires a little bit of trust. I will generally taste a small amount of it just so it doesn't, you know, I can taste it a little bit. Take a bunch of Benadryl with it and, uh, <laughs> and hope for the best. Um, I actually learned I was allergic to seafood working in, in the industry, um, or, or allergic to shellfish, sorry, working in the industry. And um, there was one time I was working. I mean, I always noticed, like, my fingers go a little numb or something if I poked a 
with a shrimp tail or something. And um, <clears throat> but there was one time my one of the chefs had made uh, some sort of lobster dish and with a bunch of uh, just like everything in it was basically shellfish related. I took a bite and my whole tongue just swelled up and everything and mouth's going numb and I kind of mentioned something about it. He's like, oh, that means you're allergic. You should probably not, <laughs> <laughs> not be eating that. So ever since then, I just make sure I keep some Benadryl on me and uh, it's never been to the point where I needed, a, you know, an EpiPen or something like that. So it's never been a, you know, su- super severe allergy, but. So I find that so interesting because I feel like, and you're, you know, you mentioned you're not someone who's worked solely in seafood. It, it has been, you know, it, uh, it's had a heavy influence on your career, but you've done other things. I feel like some people, if they realize they have an allergy with something they're going to be working with a lot, they would say, okay, I'm going to choose a different route. <laughs> I'm going to go work at a different kind of restaurant or something like that. But you stuck with seafood. Why is that? Um, again, I think it's partially because I don't eat it again. Um, that leaves everything else on the table, you know, for me to feast on. Um, I, I really don't know why why I've leaned more towards seafood. It's To me, it's always been the easier thing to cook. Um Sight and feel with seafood is more consistent, I'd say, than than just about any other protein. Mm-hmm. So, gotcha. Now, before we get into your background a little bit and and kind of dive into how you got here, I want to take a little a little closer look at Pacific Eating House. And there's a there's kind of a mission statement on the website, um, and part of it says our recipes use the Earth's bounty the way it was intended, wild and natural. What does that mean to you, and how do you put that mission statement into use with your cooking? So everything, is, as much as possible that we get, is, is wild-caught um, and not, not, not farm-raised. Um, there are very few exceptions to that. Um, we are looking at you know, putting a few things on uh, some kenapachi on the menu, which, but that is a sustainably farm-raised uh, seafood. Um, far as using their bounty, you know, providing everything from scratch, you know, we grab, you get our tomatoes, we get everything fresh, bring it, bring it together to make, make a, a final product. Now, I, I don't think a lot of the, you know, the dining public really understands the difference between wild caught and farm-raised, and I didn't really until I read The Third Plate by Dan Barber recently and kind of dove into that a little bit more. Why do you guys place such a heavy emphasis on getting those wild-caught fish? What is the benefit of those over farm-raised? Well, it's just, I mean, it's just like anything else. I mean, you you want your, your chicken to not be caged. You want your, you know, your beef to at least be out on a, on a pasture, at least, you know, you don't want it to set stuck in a barn all day. Uh, just same with your fish. I mean, uh, farmed fish are, are stuck in an aquarium, probably, you know, no bigger than this room, and there'd be five, 600 of them stuck in there, and they're, they're just, you know, throwing slop in there to feed them. You know, wild caught means somebody's out there fishing for it, you know, got, got, a, got a healthy piece of, of fish rather than something that's just been swimming in the tank mm-hmm. and, and, and stuck at the bottom, so... Better pro or better product, better muscular structure. Yeah, just a happier overall fish. Like I know it's you know kind of cliche to say that when animals are happy or whatever they taste better, but a lot of times I've I've found that to be true. Just if I if something's quality of life is better, it just 
it does taste better. It's less stressed when it's cooked. Yeah, and even like with salmon, the the farm raised salmon, they have to put pink dye into it to turn it pink because it doesn't. It uses it, it turns pink from from using its muscles. So right, right. Okay, so I want to take a look at your career now. How did you get into cooking originally? Um, I just kind of fell that way. Uh, in high school, I started as a dishwasher um, at Amarillo Barbecue way back when in Bellevue. Um, kind of stuck that out, and then also worked some fast food along the way. Then eventually got, <clears throat> um, after high school, I moved out to the to the West Coast. I did tried tried a few other things, but cooking always just stuck with me. I mean, I did a little bit of uh, gardening for some some folks out there, and and landscaping, and so I mean it was always still food related for the most part. But um, I ended up back in the the culinary industry. Every time I get away from it, I seem to come back. Well, what is it about cooking that just keeps bringing you back in? Like, e- even as you're working in like things that are tangentially related to cooking, it's just still the, the kitchen itself that draws you back. What is that? I think um, I'm quite a calm person naturally, and the chaos of the kitchen kind of just intrigues me. Um, although, generally, I, I, I try to bring my calmness to the kitchen <laughs> when I'm in there. Uh, it's very but, welcome, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've gotten that from a lot of people. They're like, you're, you're way different than, than other chefs I've worked <laughs> with. But um, you, just can't, you know, just try not to get overwhelmed when you're in there and, and things don't go, you know, go crazy. So for people who haven't worked in the restaurant industry and specifically, you know, in, you know, something other than like a, a fast food kitchen or something, when you talk about the chaos of the kitchen, what do you mean? Well, I mean, it's just, for example, the other night when you stopped in, um, I had two chefs that had called out. Uh, we currently don't even have a dishwasher on staff. So um, <clears throat> it was crazy. Um, I pulled out, you know, a few dishes off the menu for you, and then one of my other buddies had come in, and we had some scallops left over from the wine dinner uh, two nights before, and he had asked uh, if there's any scallops, and I was like, sure, I'll throw you some scallops on real quick. You know, so I threw something together for some for a scallop dish for him. <clears throat> and... Uh, you know, all, all in the middle of service while, you know, helping run. Uh, I mean, I, I even jumped on salad and fry station because that's where we were short and and just knocked out service, you know. And it's a little bit chaotic. It's Friday night and th- three men and three men on the line and no no dishwasher. <laughs> Ended up for a little bit of a late night, but we, we got it taken care of. And I, I just, I love that so much about the restaurant industry is there's just that there's Regardless of what your position is, I feel like there's this just this collective sense of just get it done. It doesn't matter if you're the executive chef. If somebody needs a salad made, a salad needs to be made. Like you, you can jump on the line and do that. The, you know, if there's not a dishwasher hired, somebody needs to you know wash the dishes. So somebody's gonna do that. That is just so unique. Like, do you, just like. Have you found that in any other part of your life and other careers that you've worked in, just that unique aspect of we need to get this done, it doesn't matter who does it, just do it? No, not at all. I mean, it's such a team environment. Um, everybody's got each other's back. I mean, it's like one big family. Um, for the most part, if, once you got a good good crew, you always know you can rely on the other guys, regardless what's going on. You're, you're in the weeds over here. Somebody's going to jump over and help you. 
they they get in the weeds, you know, somebody will jump over and help them. It's 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 yeah, it's quite the quite the team teamwork. Um, I mean, I, I've been back doing dishes many times. Everybody jumps back there. Um, I'll jump on whatever station needs my help, you know. Uh huh. So you mentioned you got your kind of start in cooking, working as a dishwasher, and then at fast food restaurants. What was it about those environments that made you think, hey, you know, maybe this, I don't want to work in a fast food restaurant forever, but maybe this is the industry that I want to stay in. What was it about that that kind of sparked that cooking bug in you? Um, well, it was really once I got up to the Washington area and I'm trying to remember what my first job up there was. can't ever remember. It was it was a place that's like similar to like a... Uh, a Denny's or something, but a little more upscale. I can never remember the name of like Wilmer's or something, gotcha. something along those lines. And, but I mean, it's like a, you know, menus all over the place, but everything's still made in house. And so I, I'd gotten on, on there and really sparked my interest there when I started seeing, you know, the full flow of everything go through um, just raw product to finished product all in all all in house um after working there i went to another little diner with same thing everything was in house and there's this little old chef there that was kind of somewhat french trained and and thought he was very french himself so it was kind of interesting working <laughs> for him <laughs> and uh but he, he he actually taught me quite a bit while i was working there and uh that that's that's really where i got more more focused on on the kitchen itself and, and and learning more how to work through the kitchen. And then you said you went to culinary school up there. Yeah, and then that's uh, that's where I went to culinary school is while I was uh, while I was at those two restaurants actually. Yeah. So what was it that happened at those restaurants? Because like it's one thing to just you know to work in a restaurant and have it be a job, but when you go to culinary school, you're making it your career. What was it about working at those places that made you make that jump from job to career? Um. It was it was looking at like well if I go to culinary school maybe I could, you know, further myself in in this position you know rather than just sitting on the line all day or sitting in the prep kitchen all day it was you know where I initially was, you know sitting in in those kind of areas all day like let me rather than just learn through the job let me go and get some schooling in it also. And where where'd you go after culinary school? Um, so I, I started working at a place up there called Tisley's Euro Pub. Um, is more of a like kind of German inspired restaurant and, um, is more focused on the beer than anything, but it was, I mean, the food was really good too. I mean, <clears throat> uh, we had homemade, you know, schnitzel and spetzel and, um, just about anything, you, you know, German, you know, uh, German cuisine you can think of. I can't think of the whole menu off the top of my head, but, um, yeah, there was, you know, lamb and, um, we had lamb shank and all kinds of different, so you know, German sausages on the menu and stuff. Um, everything, and then I think we had, you know, like 90, or 90 different labels for beer or something like that in-house. So, oh, wow. And it was all, you know, German or, you know, some German-inspired, you know, stuff that was made locally or whatever. But, yeah, very, very uh, beer-inspired restaurant. So that, that made things more interesting. <laughs> in In what way? Uh, well, you know, you start drinking and then, you know, start cooking and, you know, comparing beers to food and that kind of stuff. And then, <laughs> yeah. It, 
led to a whole other avenue of, of the, the industry, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, it sounds like, you know, you're having a good time up there. Obviously that's, you, you got your start up there. You went to culinary school up there. You're working at this German restaurant and you're enjoying yourself. I know that Omaha or Nebraska was home, but what brought you back here? So while I was up there, we, uh, I actually got, uh, separated with my wife uh, at the time. So she ended up moving back here with uh, my son. So that, that's what actually initially brought me back here. I stayed up there initially for a few uh, weeks, came back here uh, to visit, and then went, was headed back up there. And I, I turned in my notice at the, the right when I came back, the, the day I came back uh, from seeing my son. And I was my chef, as soon as I came back in, he, he looked at me. He's like, he's like, you're going back home, aren't you? He's like, you give me at least two weeks. I was like, yeah, I'll give you two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but he understood. He yeah, got yeah. it. Yeah, Like, I didn't have to say anything. The day I walked back into the office, he's like, you're going back home, huh? I was like, yep. <laughs> so what happened so, when you came back home? Um, Where'd you go next? When I came back here, uh, initially I opened up uh, Loft 610. Uh, it was open there for a short while. I think it was a little ahead of its time. A little too big of a restaurant there in Midtown. It was one of the first Midtown restaurants there. Um, yeah, we had, you know, it was a little upper scale. I would say probably would have, you know, competed with uh, the same kind of level as uh, Pacific Eating House and, and, and that kind of stuff, you know, maybe even a little little higher end. And, and they sat, uh, I don't know, 100 plus people. Oh, wow. 100, you know, maybe even 200 something people with the patio there because it was the I can't remember what's there now that uh, it was right behind where Gray Plume was. Mm, okay. Um, Black Oak or something like right, that. Right, right, yeah. That that building there. Uh, it was the, fir- the first first restaurant in, <laughs> in, in, in that cycle. Um, after that, um, I think I worked at one of the bars downtown for a little bit, um, just kind of in between stuff. And then I opened up, helped open up Plank. And then after Plank, I was at Twisted Cork, and then then to Mark B, Mark's Bistro before before changing careers. Mm-hmm. Now, for people who don't know, Twisted Cork and Pacific Eating House are connected. They are run by the same couple. Um, Correct. Yeah, it's a, it's our sister restaurant. Yes, Daryl and Laura Ald. What is it about them? Because they clearly made an impression on you, and that you worked for them previously, and and now you've come back and worked for them again. What is it about those two that um, that you enjoy working with and working for? Uh, Daryl is probably the best person I've ever worked for, to be honest. Really? Um, yeah, in 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 any uh, industry. Uh, great, great, great guy. Great, great family. Um, runs his business. You know. Just, just properly, you know, takes care of his people. What's the most uh, important thing that you've learned working from him? Like when you say he's the nicest person or one of the best people you've ever met, what is it about him? Like an owner like that that has some compassion, you know. Um, he's always there, there if you, you know, you need something, you know. When he, not so much in the restaurant as much as he used to be, but you know, way back when. But he, he's always there. You know, you know, you need an extra guy. He's the first one to jump on the line. You're, you're short. You're short staffed. You know, you know. Friday night, if I'd have called him, he would have come in and jumped on the line. He wouldn't have cared. Uh-huh. You know, 
I'm not, not going to bother him with that these days. But <laughs> <laughs> um, So I think this is where we really reach one of the more interesting points in your career in, uh, after Mark's is that you actually left the restaurant industry for a bit. And when I met you, this is probably about a, a year and a half ago at a um, – a meetup for the Omaha Food Lovers Facebook group. I met you at Porky Butts, and and you you had gotten out of the industry. What was it that made you make that decision? Um, well, at that point, I had uh, after getting full. Uh, excuse me. Let me start that over. Um, I'd gotten full custody of my son, um, so I needed to transition out of the industry more for hours uh, and and just focus on the family for a bit. Um, so yeah, it was just, it's just more, more hours, you know, needed an eight to five Monday through Friday job is what I needed. And, and the food industry just wasn't, wasn't that. So <laughs> what, what did you do? Uh, I went to accounting. Uh, I went, had gone back and got my, my degree in accounting. I was going to school while I was going my last little bit of time at, um, Twisted Cork. And then my whole time while I was at Marks, I was in uh, going to school for accounting. And it's 2015, I think it was, when I left Marks and, and joined uh, a small private company as their, their accountant. So Now, what was it that made you start taking accounting courses even before you decided to leave the industry? Like, wh- what sparked that interest in you? Um. I've always been very numbers focused and very, you know, math focused and, you know, growing up and whatnot, it was always something just came easy to me. So I figured, well, if I'm going to go to school and work full time and try and take, you know, 12 to 16 credit hours, I better do something that's not too much work. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good strategy. And, and um, that was my initial thought going in. And, and for the most part, that was true. Some of the accounting classes did take a little more focus than just knowing numbers because you have to know all the principles and all that kind of stuff. But um, outside of that, you know, all my math classes I had to take, you know, was, you know, I slept through them, you know, that kind of stuff. So it, it made at least some of the classes I had to take, you know, relatively easy. Uh-huh. Now something I, I would just, I'm I'm eminently imin- fascinated in as someone who admittedly has not worked in the industry. And so like I've, I've researched a lot. I've talked to a lot of people on this show and outside this show. I've, you know, learned a ton, but I've never experienced it personally. And I think a number of my viewers are probably in that, or viewers, listeners, I think I've ever recorded a podcast before. A number of my listeners are in the same boat. Um, Can you just kind of pull back the curtain on how crazy and different the lifestyle of working in a restaurant is as opposed to working at a nine to five job? Um, well, yeah, it's, it's quite the difference, you know, um, there's, there's days I go in at 9am and don't, don't leave until, you know, 10 or 11 that night. Um, you know, maybe with a two hour little break in between or something shifts and and half the time when I'm take that break, I'm grabbing groceries. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, especially on a, you know, on a busy day. Uh, most of the time, though, you know, it's it's still, you know, you never get a nine to five unless you're working, you know, some sort of breakfast gig that that doesn't serve anything but breakfast. But and then you're more like a six six a.m. to to three kind of guy or something. But um, yeah, it's just it's just insane. There's days where 
you know, you work straight through the, the whole 12 hour, you know, 12 hour shift and, and don't get to go home, you know, if, if there's, you know, happy hour rush or something like that. I remember the first day I, uh, uh, was in Oregon. I had just gotten a job up there. Um, day, day one was Valentine's day. Oh boy. And <laughs> he said, you know, he, he told me show up 9am, showed up at 9am that, that morning uh, on Valentine's day. I left at three o'clock in the morning the next day with, with no break the whole day. Oh my gosh. And I was on the schedule for the next day, you know, at 10 a.m. again. And uh, showed up at 10 a.m. the next morning. I walked in. The, the boss looked at me. He goes, thank you. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's like, we've, we've, we, we've been trying to replace this position for, you know, a few weeks now. And you're, you're the only guy that's ever come back. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's definitely been some interesting times. And it was me and one other guy that, that both of us worked in. And both of us, I, know, he, he, I think he was in at noon the next day or something like that, and he showed, he came back into or whatever. But, um, yeah, and that's, uh, I think it just takes a different kind of mentality, really, to, to work the industry. And, and then when you're out of it, you just don't, you don't feel right. Yeah, but, so, so, tell, <laughs> so tell me about that. Like, as you start working, you know, d- doing accounting, and all of a sudden you have, like, you know, set hours every day, and you're not working till 3 a.m. or anything, like, was that a breath of fresh air for you? You're like, this is awesome, or did you just feel like this is really weird? I don't know what to do. Like, yeah, what, no, what was that like? It's it's definitely a, a different feeling, and I'm I'm so much of a a night owl anyway. So, um, you know, having to be on at eight a.m. every morning, and when I'm up till two a.m. most of the time anyway, um, it, you know, it, it's rough on the body a little bit in, in its own way, but. It's it's a different feeling though. I mean, you you go in, you clock in at eight, you you know clock out for lunch, come back, you know clock out at five, go home. It's a very routine, mundane kind of feeling. <laughs> so you sound like you didn't love the routine. No, no, not at all. Um, it it was nice. It served its purpose for for what I needed it for. To um, my you know my son is seventeen now, so. Um, he doesn't mind being at the home house by himself uh, a, a little bit, and luckily he's a, a really good kid, so I can trust him to be at home. Right. <laughs> so, so clearly he was, you know, the driving force behind you getting out of the industry, you moving back here, even originally. Like, at what point did you start to feel comfortable entertaining the thought of, "Hey, I'm not loving this accounting thing. Maybe I can get back into the industry." Well, I think when I went into accounting, my end goal was always to start something myself or like I, I've looked at starting food trucks a few different times. Um, when I was in school for accounting, um, we had to write a business plan to graduate and my business plan was, was for a food truck. What kind of and, food truck? Um, at that point, it was, I, I, I didn't really have a menu written. Okay. Um, I've, I've, over the years, I've written a few different menus for <laughs> a couple of different ideas. Um, but no, I, was just, I, I had to do like, a, you know, food costing and all that and whatnot. So I didn't really have like a real menu written. I just made up some different items and made the to make the business plan work. But that, that was always my end goal was to start something on my own, whether it was a small little bistro or 
uh, a food truck or something. So um, it was last November, um, Pacific Eating House approached me to come back and just help them out, you know, a few nights a week just because they were short-staffed and, and whatnot, and I was knew the manager there at the time. So she invited me over to, to help them out and kind of got my itch going, and then Daryl approached me about the position, and I, I couldn't turn it down at that point. So <laughs> now we're, we're gonna we're gonna get into the the process of getting like ramped back up into the industry. But what do you think was the most important thing you learned during your time away? And just for context for people, and tell me if I've got my timeline wrong, but I believe you left Marks in 2015. Correct. Yeah. 2015, and then you know you started up with Pacific Eating House. Uh, late 2020, early 2021. So we're talking a four or five year period there. What was the most important thing that you think you learned during your time away? Um, well, I definitely learned the whole other side of looking at a business. I was the, the only accountant for a small company. Um, so I saw basically everything on the other side, you know, studied the balance sheets every day, the, you know, did every journal entry. I did, you know, every aspect of the you know, I, I ran all the payroll. So, I mean, I knew every aspect of the other side of the business. So um, I think that really opened my eyes up um, to what could be done in the industry and, and how to keep other costs down and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think it helps helps knowing that side of the business, even if that's not what you're focused on in, in the business. So can you give me an example of how that helps you in your role now? Um, just knowing that, you know, what, what labor cost actually means. It's not just, you know, what, what you're paying the guy, you know, there's just, there's all the background costs involved in that. And, you know, there's everything else involved in, in the food costing. And that is all, I mean, it's all basically accounting related as far as, you know, inventory and then costing, a, you know, figuring out the cost on a plate. You can't just throw something together and just be like, oh, I'm guessing this cost me five dollars so we'll charge 15 and have no real idea what you're doing you know uh-huh yeah you, you got to figure out that the tablespoon of mayonnaise on there costs you know 15 cents rather than just taking take a guess yeah something that most people would never think about i think something that's interesting is like i feel like a lot of times when i ask people like what their advice is for someone who's getting into the industry or i'll even i'll read interviews with with famous chefs you know, even, you know, the David Changs of the world and stuff. And they'll say, well, what's your advice for, you know, a young cook who wants to get into it? They'll say, don't <laughs> do something else. Don't get into this. This is a crazy life. Uh, and I think it's half-hearted jokingly and maybe half serious. But I'm just curious, like, when you get back into it, like, what was your reaction? What was the reaction of, like, your friends and other people in the industry? Were they were they like, are you crazy? Were they like, welcome back? You know, like, what what was their reaction? Oh, it was definitely a lot of, are you sure? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, you really want to jump back into this? And I was like, I, I was always so so passionate about it. I, I, a few of my close friends, they they were the ones that were like, congrats, man. Like, we know this is what you want to do, so so congrats. And even even actually, my the my boss at the accounting job. Um, he didn't even try to, to make a <laughs> counter offer and, and keep me. He was just like, he's like, that's what you're, that's, that's where your passion. He's like, congrats on the, the offer. He's like, I'm very disappointed, you know, that you're leaving, but, <laughs> but congrats on, on the job. 
That's great. So what was what was the feeling of being back in the kitchen like? What did it just was it weird at all or did it feel like, hey, this is home, this just feels familiar? What was that like for you? Um well when I first come back, you know, I just I said I was just doing like one night a week or so. So it was kind of a a, a little bit of a transition. I you know, it kind of felt out of place for a minute, but then um as soon as I was there a few different days and you know, once I knew the menu like you know, I should have. Um, it, yeah, everything just was came back to normal, and and then once I was there full time, after the first like three days, like the flow of the line and all that, it, it just all comes back to you. Mm-hmm. So, so obviously, you know, as we've talked about, you have a background in seafood. That's not something that's foreign to you. You also worked at Twisted Cork, and a lot of the menu items that when you started at Pacific Eating House. We're from Twisted Cork, so you're familiar with some of those. But at the same time, a lot of that menu is probably pretty new to you in terms of, you know, maybe you were familiar with all the ingredients and everything, but you hadn't made those specific dishes. Like, what kind of a crash course did you have to put yourself on to learn that menu? Um, I'm still putting myself through that crash course. (laughs) Um, About the only station I haven't got down is, is Saute over there. I know most of what goes into. I know everything that goes into the dishes. I guess I should say, and I know how to cook them. I, I just don't know how to necessarily execute on a on a busy night over there uh-huh. <laughs> uh, properly. And that was actually one of my better stations always. You know, previously, so that that and grill station are always uh, always my two strong suits. And that's what that's generally what I run on the line now is uh, I'll run grill station and then just run the wheel at the same time. So, like, to get ramped up, do you do you take a couple days to just kind of watch service and watch how people put dishes together? Or are you, like, studying the menu and studying processes at home and being like, okay, this is what's in this dish, here's how we have to cook this, this is how long this takes? How do you get yourself to the point where you feel comfortable leading the kitchen on this menu that still is very new to you? Well, I've, I've left my a lot of trust in my expo to make sure dishes look properly uh, going out uh, compared to how they used to because I don't necessarily know exactly how every dish was supposed to be executed properly before uh, other than what I've seen, you know, in the kitchen because, you know, I didn't make half the dishes on the menu at the moment. And so, yeah, I have to put a lot of trust in my expo. Um, that was one of the stations I tried to make sure I, I knew um, it's probably my least favorite to run um, just because it's kind of boring. You're over there and just selling food all the time and not actually cooking anything. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, it, it, is, uh, it, it is a little bit uh, more chaotic over there sometimes than, than even on the line trying to keep servers on task and make sure they grab the right plates for their table and not the wrong plate because um, that's always fun when that happens. <laughs> but uh yeah that was that was my first key I'm we're still kind of working on the flow of how the line is going to work I'm I'm changing a few things up and trying to make it to where I how I would like to run it and see how it see fl- see it flow rather than how it is now ease up some of the cuz right now we have the expo doing some of the plating and to me that just doesn't doesn't make sense with the flow let them sell food and focus on on making sure the server takes the right plate and, and we can, we can plate and, and, and sell it to sell it to the expo. 
So that that kind of plays into something that I was really curious about because as a new executive chef, you're coming into a restaurant that has already been pretty successful. And all these, the people, you know, that you employ now, like they, they have a set process. They're used to doing things a certain way. But you come in and you have your background and your experiences and you've seen things done differently. You might come in and say, oh, you know, I think this could be run more efficiently or, you know, I, I did it different than this. I think this could maybe, you know, my way might work a little bit better. How do you kind of assimilate and inject your ideas and your new processes without like upsetting the boat? You know, how do you kind of walk that line between bringing your experience and the things that you think will work and kind of going along with what is already working in the kitchen? Um, Well, it's definitely a fine line. Um, You just let people know when you see a problem and then like, there's definitely a better way we could do something and explain, you know, make sure that they're on, you know, understanding why you're changing something rather than just forcing it on them and being like, you're going to do it this way because I say so, you know, you, you say, well, we're going to start doing this because, because of this, you know, because it makes more sense and, and it'll, it'll help the flow of, of the dinner service. It'll help us, you know, work, you know, more smoothly through, through every ticket, it'll, you know, get us out of here earlier every night, you know, that kind of, <laughs> well, you know, depending on, you know, what, it, what the, what the task might be, you know. Mm-hmm. What do you think, maybe what, what surprised you the most since you got back into the industry? Because obviously, you know, things are constantly changing the restaurant industry, you know, when between those four or five years, I'm assuming, you know, there were things that underwent significant changes. Was there anything where you came back in where you're like, Oh man, this is different. Um, the to-go orders. Oh, oh yeah, the, especially the, the during cur- COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The COVID um, has just been crazy. Um, because you 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 have your normal flow, which isn't necessarily as busy as it was, you know, pre-COVID, obviously. But then you get all these to-go tickets that don't come in with any sort of server taking a ticket or anything, and then it's fire everything at once. You know, you got apps, you know, entrees and desserts all on the same same to-go ticket there. Which, you know, just makes things a little more interesting because you're not used to fire and everything at once. And then the, you get a seven, you know, five or six, seven thirty to go tickets in the middle of your Friday night dinner rush. And it just, you know, can make, you know, make things a lot more interesting. So what does that do exactly? What does that do to service? When you get those to-go orders. I mean, obviously, you're not complaining about to-go orders. No, to-go not orders at all. Are a good no, part we, of business. we definitely love the business, yeah. Yeah, yeah no. It, I, I want yeah, to be clear, but, like, how do you kind of balance those two things between having the people who are sitting in the to-go orders, how do you balance those two things and prioritize if you're slammed with both at once? Um, you just got to make sure that they get thrown into the normal flow of tickets. I mean, because sometimes you'll get, you know, a 6 or 7 o'clock to-go order, but you you got the to-go order at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, so you don't get it at the same time you got the rest of the tickets. And you have to pay attention to that, especially it depends on how they come into the kitchen too. So they, they call it in or if they, they, they order online, they come in a little different. So you have to make sure you're keeping an eye on that and don't fire the, the to-go order before it <laughs> before it's time. Um, but yeah, you just have to try and keep an eye on them, keep an eye on the clock. Cause that's not necessarily something that, you know, you necessarily looked at previously. Um, so, you know, I always keep a constant eye on the clock to make sure 
oh, it's 7 o'clock now. We've got these 7.30s. And generally about 25 minutes out, I'll let everybody know we're 25 minutes out on, on all these to-goes, you know, so make sure you're ready to fire those at that point as well as do the rest of, you know, dinner service. So you just got to make sure you're ready. If you're 25 minutes out, you can get prep all your proteins. You can get them ready to, you know, throw on the grill, that kind of stuff. How long did it take you to make that adjustment? Um, it definitely took a few, especially um, with the way some of the to-go's come back. Uh, I definitely fired a few um, to-go orders as they came in on the ticket rather than waiting for when it was supposed to be time. So that made some makes even more confusion because everybody's trying to figure out where the ticket goes because Expo paid attention and put it in the right spot, and I didn't. So. <laughs> <laughs> those, those are the perks of being the new guy sometimes. Yeah. You, you get a little leniency, at least. I hope you did. Um, so, so you mentioned earlier how there's going to be a little bit of a transition coming up with the menu. Can, can you kind of get into that a little bit more and explain what you were talking about there? Well, um, all the kind of native... Uh, twisted cork items will be coming off uh, with the next uh, menu transition. And, you know, once the cork opens back up, uh, beginning of June, they will, you know, all be back on the menu there. So we're losing a few items for a short period of time in the transition. And we'll be replacing them with uh, something here shortly. We haven't figured that out quite yet. But uh, a few dishes to to come we're going to be running a few specials to see if anything sticks over the next uh, couple of weeks and see how things go so is this a really exciting time for you because this is kind of your chance to you know put the stamp on the menu like so far you, you've been cooking from this menu that was mostly established before you started but now you know you kind of get to have a hand in these dishes right definitely yeah no it's, it's definitely exciting um I'm I'm very one to try and use what we already bring in already. So um, other than maybe a few different proteins, you know, I don't know that you're going to see anything, you know, crazy exotic coming out or whatnot. But <laughs> um, I, I try to use what we're already, uh, like I said, we're already bringing in-house. Um, we try to use, you know, a lot of local stuff too. So, Will the malasadas be making an appearance on the menu? Moving um, assuming I can perfect them. They they will they will be I believe yeah okay uh, Daryl so Daryl was excited about those when I mentioned uh, making them um, yeah once once they're perfected they'll at least be Ryan as a special fairly often now I'm excited about them and I'd never heard about them before we got a chance to try some last Friday can you explain what they are and why they're so delicious um, it's basically like the Hawaiian uh, version of a beignet so it's it's a fried yeast uh, donut basically. Um, they, they raise for about three hours. It's a very sticky, wet dough. Um, it's, I, I, it's very airy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the best things about them. Um, traditionally down in Hawaii, they are either like I served them to you just tossed in sugar like that, or they'll get like a pastry cream and guava paste or like a dragon fruit, uh, curd or something like that. Um, injected into them yeah I, I was just amazed just like biting into them it's i don't know if a crispy exterior is the right way to put it but the exterior definitely has more bite to it and then the interior your teeth just like sink right into it because it is just so airy oh man like we were just my wife and i were just raving about this like we were not hungry at all after our meal 
And then those came out, and, and we just we still devoured them. Like, hunger didn't matter at that point. They were just yeah, really no, good. They, they are quite delicious, especially when, when done, done 100% right. Those were, I'd, I'd say, about 90% there. So ho- hopefully we'll, we'll get those perfected. Well, people, if those hit the menu, like, that's an absolute must. If you go to Pacific Eating House and you see those on the menu, maybe order a little bit lighter or just loosen your belt a little bit and be prepared because you're going to want to throw those on at the end of the meal. Um, Got a couple more questions here as we wind down. And this one's kind of a random one, but it's something that I'm interested in. I've noticed more and more menus starting to provide the option to buy a six-pack for the kitchen. And actually, the first place that I, that I at least became aware of it was at Twisted Cork. Um, I've seen it now on menus at Paisons, Au Courant. I believe Shucks uh, has that option as well. I, I think that it's a really cool idea, and it's a way to kind of show appreciation to the kitchen as opposed to, you know, giving a tip to the server. Just what, when you're working back there and, like, and you see that, that someone has, you know, bought a six-pack for the kitchen, whether it's actually a six-pack or they're just, you know, giving you the 10 bucks or whatever to spread around. Is that like a morale boost? Like, what does that do for the kitchen? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, you, you can definitely even see it in the guys because it, it comes through on the printer, even on our on our kitchen printer. It says, buy the, buy, you know, buy the kitchen on there. And uh, the guys definitely perk up a little bit every time they see one come in. So it's it's definitely well appreciated. Um, I don't know how well you can hear us back there or not, but oh, uh, we heard it. Yeah, <laughs> so we generally generally ring ring a ring a bell. Well, we say call call it ringing a bell. We just uh, swing one of the the serving spoons inside of a, a, a you know twelve gallon uh, or twelve quart pot, and then uh, uh, say thank you. Um, but yeah, the guys definitely appreciate it. That's awesome. Uh, so I, I highly encourage people to do that. Check. When you next time, you know, if you feel comfortable eating in a restaurant, check the menu and see if that's an option because I've seen it on more and more menus and I think it's a really cool thing. And you just confirmed that it's something that can make a difference, especially, you know, when you're talking about in the middle of a 9 a.m. to 3 a.m. shift, something like even just a simple little ring of the bell might, you know, help to some extent. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, okay, last two questions here. And these are things that I like to ask just people from all different types of the industry. What is something uh, that people who don't work in the industry don't understand about working in kitchens that you wish that they did? Um, maybe just the whole time that everything is really involved. I mean, you have people come in and, you know, they may have ordered something simple, but there's, you know, five orders in front of them that that necessarily there maybe there wasn't even room to put their item on the grill. You know what I mean? I shouldn't say five orders. Maybe there's ten orders in front of them and their their item couldn't even fit on the grill. And and they think, oh well that should have taken five minutes. Well, there's no space, there's no space. So <laughs> you know, you come in at the wrong time and order order that. Sometimes you, you can't get it right away. But mo- most of the time you can you can knock something like that out and especially if it's a singled off item. But um that that'd be one of the bigger things is just people's patience. Um, understand that sometimes things are going to take more than more than five minutes um, after after you put your order back. Um, now, you know that being said, they shouldn't take you know thirty five or forty minutes. So, <laughs> but just have a little compassion and understand yeah, yeah. that you're not the only diner in the restaurant. And and even if you're not at the current time, even if you're 
you are the owner only diner in the restaurant there may be you know like i said earlier you know 10 to go tickets back there that that's really serving them out so absolutely and now i i'm really interested to get your answer on this question because you're someone who has really felt the pull you know back to the kitchen even when you were you know working outside the industry you wanted to come back so what is your favorite part about working in the restaurant industry um I think it's just being uh, seeing somebody eat something that you you made or that you created, and and then the enjoyment that they get out of it. Um, it's I think it's kind of like a, you know an artist when people view their art, you know they get that pleasure you know out of seeing somebody view their artist. So I think it's the same thing. You you've created something that somebody eats and they really like it. That just like you know it just gets you that you know all, all your your emotions flowing like yeah that's, that was that was good i did you know i did something great there can you remember the first time you had that feeling um or maybe a, a time that really stuck out to you like either it was someone that you were really anxious about serving or like someone that just absolutely raved like is there one time where that moment was just like that really just hit you i think it was the first time where we were opening up a restaurant um i can't even remember exactly which one it was i can remember the chef's name was ben can't remember which restaurant it was but we didn't have any recipes we were opening up a restaurant and he was basically whatever station you were on you had to make the dishes and bring them to him until he approved you know and the first the first time that that i brought one and didn't have to come back and redo anything on it you know what i mean and he was all like yep that's it and i was all like oh I was like, I I finally did one. (laughs) I can imagine that would be a fantastic feeling. All right. Well, um, Patrick, that's all I got for you today. I am so appreciative that you came and uh, and gave us your time here. Just thank you so much. I think this was a really helpful discussion to kind of understand what is so special about the restaurant industry and why the people who are in it love it and 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 they just they feel that pull to come back to it so i thank you so much for for coming on and sharing your insights today definitely definitely appreciate you having me on yeah of course it was my pleasure um and listeners i highly encourage you go check out pacific eating house um coming up on or maybe just past the year anniversary but it's either it's almost a year old or it's just a year old it's It's somewhere around there but it is a very very good seafood restaurant and now we get a chance to kind of see uh patrick's fingerprints on you know on the menu on the processes as he works his way further and further into that executive chef role so i'll uh i'll leave you on that omaha as always thanks for eating with us a huda media production